0: To places. Thank you, places. It's time to exit Stage Death.
1: Welcome, welcome back to Exit Stage Death. As always,
0: I'm your host, Emily Martinez. And I'm your host, Maddie Limerick.
1: And these are the chilling true stories behind your favorite Broadway shows. Maddie, my love, how are you today?
0: I'm so good. How are you, my love?
1: I'm good. I'm staying hydrated.
0: I am as well. I've got
1: a I've got a little bit of like hydration packet in my water. My husband would be very, very happy to know that I'm drinking water. But I won't lie, um I just chugged like two Gulpfuls of like iced coffee that are literally like <laughs> in a container, and my friends just be like, "Okay, just give me a little pep in my step. Got a little bump. get a little bump. Just give a little bump. <laughs> and so, now, uh, is, yeah, is, is it
0: is it liquid IV in your water? Is that what you, you got? <laughs> you know a, a musical actually... theater actor's secret liquid IV. if anyone listens to uh, obsessed disappeared that's all they have been talking about recently is the liquid IV.
1: i gotta say they don't taste amazing but i mm-hmm. i use them so often because here's the thing i just don't love the feeling of a lot of like water in my stomach when i'm like when Mm -hmm. i can hear it swish when i'm like running i'm like that's not a nice feeling (laughs) like Mm -mm. so if i'm like if i can just pretend like manifest that it's more than one (laughs) thing of water in my stomach then i feel more hydrated and t way um how are you doing how's life for you
0: well, you know what? We are out here live, laugh, loving. I am, i <laughs> you pray loving myself yes. to, to, I don't know. We're surviving, <laughs> which is good. We're about to hit the hottest part of summer in Orlando and it is more, Then I can bear, but here we Uh, are. (laughs) Sweaty sisters unite.
1: (laughs) I mean, like, chafing friends of all places. Uh,
0: Chafing friends of all genders and sizes. the, Uh,
1: The biker shorts are out. The chafe cream is empty and needs to be refilled. It is... The natural deodorants that we use are not yep. doing what the Lord
0: asked them <laughs> to true. do. It's true. It's sometimes I will deal with a little bit of aluminum in my pores if I know that I'm not going cool, to smell sweaty. But I mean, the new it's bike weird. shorts. I, <laughs> yeah. oh sorry, no, I was about go, to say, I just, I just ordered a bunch of the the Lizzo new like Bodycon line. <gasps> uh, it's which probably isn't going to be so new by the time this comes out. But I was like, I. Uh, the way our shorts fit at work, I was like, I'm always chub rubbing and so I want to try some of their her cute little little pastel colors that go all the way up to big girl sizes. Oh, I have to check so, these out. Yes, you do. Oh, it's totally revolutionary what they're doing. It's so subversive. I'm obsessed. Yeah. Uh, I love... I, ad- I adore Lizzo. All the rumors are true. She is an icon. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I'm like an... Absolutely.
1: And a uh, freaking athlete. The, what she's able mm-hmm. to do on a stage, I'm like, mm-hmm. I... I mean, we've had a couple episodes about cults, but I'm like, I will follow you, Lizzo. <laughs> I will.
0: Okay, so it's so funny. We were just watching my housemates and I were watching her SNL episode earlier today. Yeah, and watching I her and it. All, I gotta watch it. Uh, all her big girl dancers because um, she just uh, this again. This will be a couple months old by the time this comes out, but um. Yeah, it's like, so she's got like the biggest girl on stage with her or the smallest girl on stage with her is probably a size 16. So like, we love to see it. They're corseted. They're gorgeous. They're in her bodycon line. But like, they're dancing so hard. And I was like, this is so important to see because we for years have had in musical theater, the lie told to us that we don't cast fat people because we're concerned for their health and their stamina. And it's like. And they're like, well, look, even what happens to the girls who play Tracy Turnbath, they lose so much weight. And I was like, yes. But even then, Tracy is one of the most, if you have a good choreographer, it's one of the most difficult dance tracks in musical theater. Mm -hmm. So, like, you can't tell me that a fat person or multiple fat people can't be in the ensemble turning it out, can't be in your romantic, gorgeous leads. like. Give it to um, me, give it
1: to me, go, go, go. Like,
0: by the time this comes out, we will have had the the run in London open with a plus-size black L Woods and box braids. Like, <gasps> that is the future of musical theater that I fucking want with a non-binary Sabrina. Like, all of these, like... It's That's happening. the future we it's need. Happening. And like when you see, and like those girls perform with her, they're used to doing a two and a half hour show. So, like a two-hour show. So don't tell me that you can't have fat people in your ensemble. Thank I you will don't. die on this soapbox. You don't know have that, Scott,
1: you can thrive because that soapbox is full. I don't well, know if that made s- any sense, but uh, I speaking, am for it.
0: S- okay. And speaking of soapboxes, mm. uh the show that you're referencing today has quite a few of them. People on them, people using them, people should be using them. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. nice. I was wondering, uh, I was like, how, my nice... God, how am I going to segue? Uh, uh, and,
1: I, and Maddie, you just solved the problem
0: for me. That's true. But w- what are we talking about today? People are like, uh, okay, are we talking about newsies? What are we talking to- what no. t- What's got a soapbox? Is it Flora and the Red Menace? What are we talking <laughs> about? Well, today, today
1: we are talking about a musical we're really talking about a part of a musical that is so minor, but it just goes to show that this musical holds so many stories and so much history and so much nuance that even like one of the smallest moments that is a comedic moment in the show, and really like quite frivolous in in a way, uh-huh. um, holds so much weight to just like what um, is is and was and still is pop culture and. Mm-hmm. And really, like violence towards women, and and just so much of that. Um, today, we are talking about from Ragtime the musical, The Girl on the Swing, Evelyn Nesbit, the original it girl. The Come people on call now. it Ragtime. 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 <laughs> just harmonies. It's harmonies. Oh <laughs> time. Yes. So today we are talking about Evelyn Nesbitt. Um, Evelyn Nesbitt in the show, um, you know, as the girl on the swing. We also dream role. I'm like, oh, my God,
0: cast me. Um, oh, it's such a great role. It's such a great role.
1: It's so great. And then but like yet again, which I feel like we just find out if anybody just kind of researches kind of any story in history of like about a specific person. So much of the time you just find so much tragedy connected mm-hmm. to these to these humans, especially when it's like, like for a musical, if it's like, this is the comedic, (laughs) this is the comedic relief. And then you're like, Mm -hmm. her life was so sad. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's a wild story. So I'm excited. Um, excited is a weird word to say, but I am anxious to tell you all about it. And just, in in just telling this story and like, it gets twisted. So there will be moments where I say like, Hey, if, if, uh, because there are going to be, um, mentions of, um, rape and sexual assault, um, from here on forward, I'll say R word, or, um, if we want to bleep out, um, sexual assault, like, whatever feels, feels appropriate, but, um, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of violence towards, um, Evelyn and women, um, who were also chorus girls in that community back in the, um, the Gilded Age, which is what we're going to talk about, so, You know, just know that ahead of time. And I'll give a little bit of a, um, you know, a content warning when we get to those parts, if you want to skip ahead a couple of seconds or minutes, um, protect yourself. But it is, um, it's a fascinating story and it's about resilience and, um, and celebrity and just like fuckery when it comes down to it so where do we get um where do we see evelyn now or where where did this story come uh come to be that's in the theatrical space well ragtime the musical um if anybody knows ragtime it is just like this dazzling production as it's been said it's a dazzling production that is just um full of different stories and different types of people that really kind of created the the idea of the melting pot that is um, the United States or like really when when things started um, really moving I guess turn of the century is when I -hmm. I feel like ragtime is supposed Mm -hmm. to like inhibit please anything you have Maddie I feel like you always know so much about uh, musicals specifically so if you've got like inside knowledge to ragtime like go for it I would love that Um, but Ragtime the Musical uh, was written, the music was by Stephen Flaherty, lyrics by Lynn Ahrens, I think mm-hmm. that's what he said. Um, book by Terrence McNally. First opened on Broadway on December 26, 1997, um, so right after Christmas, at the Ford Center and the Performing Arts. Um, it was directed by Frank. Galati, and choreographed by uh, Graciela Danielle. Um, the OG cast of stars included Brian Stokes Mitchell, which is like, oh my God, sing to me every single day. Um, mm-hmm. Mary Maisel, uh, Mary Maisie, Peter Friedman, and Audrey McDonald. We stand, Queen, queen, queen. queen. Um, all of all of which were nominated for Tony Awards. So when the show came out, it had many mixed reviews. As I said, it was a dazzling production, like visually, like spectacular but it had a lot of issues with the script um but despite these many mixed reviews the show received many tony awards uh all of which um included audra our girl she won the best actress as she should as she always should um for best original score best book best orchestrations but it did it was nominated for best musical but it lost to the lion king which it's like if you're gonna lose to a huge show Mm -hmm. that's like visually spectacular just Mm -hmm. as um, much it's Lion King is, is going to be the one year is gonna beat you. Uh, it won multiple drama desk awards it won an Olivier award was nominated again for multiple Tonys for its Broadway revival in 2009. I have a personal connection to the devastation of when it closed in January um, on January 16, 2000 um, Oh no this I think that's the original so, I remember. I remember the revival closing rather suddenly. I think there may have been a writer strike. Yes. And is it, it? Was it a writer strike that made it, it
0: close? Just, it just wasn't doing well. It, mm. it was not. Um, it was not doing well. Uh, it was not as well received. It was in a not great theater, and yeah. I know they they had like two weeks notice, but I do believe it was during one of the Hollywood, the television writer strikes. I do believe it was during the same time, but, but it was, yeah, they had like two weeks notice. It was not very well. Yeah.
1: I remember like having, I think I got tickets for like Christmas. Like my mom was like surprised, surprised me with tickets. I was so excited because I was in, I feel like I was in high school, What 2009. Yeah. I was in high school and, or I just gotten into college and, um, guess my age and um I feel like it was one of the first shows that I went oh a show can close like unbeknown, like before it's run like it kind of hit me like oh my gosh that can happen and I was devastated because I just really want like I wanted to see Audra so badly uh oh and I'm realizing I don't know if I have that right with the OG I think that may have been like sure if that's the original original cast or <laughs> me and me getting me getting facts wrong so if i'm wrong about the og cast if or if that was the revival cast no, i'm not no, sure No, that's
0: the original cast that was okay. the original cast yeah i yeah, thought
1: yeah. so i was like because wasn't like because audrey was in both of them she was in the revival too right
0: no she wasn't christian uh christian noel was mother i forget uh, who okay. played sarah in the revival... Oh, God, I forget. Cole House. I know Savannah Weiss, who started in Rock of Ages, mm-hmm. uh, was Evelyn Nesbitt because she left Rock of Ages for Ragtime and we were all very excited for her.
1: Not um, me having the wrong info. <laughs> for,
0: it's totally fine. I, it's okay. But no, I mean, it's also because that original Ragtime ran like four years, yeah. so they had, you know, 20 or 30 replacements for the big role. So it is yeah. bound to be errors. Uh, if anyone wants to come for you, I will... Fight them! I will. Maddie, me. fight me at the Broadway flea market, and I will beat the crap out of you, and then throw a playbill at you.
1: Fighting for my honor, for my honor. Oh my
0: god! <laughs> you, you are a strong, independent woman. You can fight for your own honor, but I won't let talk people talk shit like on the podcast. But like <laughs> I don't want to. Like, I'm no, like tired. I don't want to. I don't <laughs> want to break a sweat. It's going to be September in New York. I don't want to break a
1: sweat. <laughs> okay, so. The set of the, like, if you don't know Ragtime, so Ragtime is a musical that is set in the 20th century, and it's about the people who inhabited uh, New York City and the surrounding areas, such as African Americans, upper, uh, white, upper middle class families, and Eastern European immigrants, which, um, and, and how it all shaped uh, the pictures of pop culture and and um, the industrial revolution just everything that was like happening around which brought up social issues and racial issues and economic issues and all of the like like it just feels like it was it was um it was filled with like so much of honestly like what the world is now it's just like no we've got Mm -hmm. shit to talk about and i'm going to get on my soapbox that is absolutely necessary and we're going to talk the shit out and and we're going to like we're going to create change I feel like it's like the whole story is about like creating change and how there's nuance in these people's stories um but with nuance of hoping that like I'm actually going to contradict myself just a bit because um we just get a hint of certain people's stories in this, and there is no nuance. So, specifically, um, including Evelyn Nesbitt. So, she's just a small portion of the show. And we see in the song Crime of the Century, which it, I've said is um, a very comedic relief moment and just kind of like light and makes you go, ah, like, oh, this is like musical theatery fun. But it glosses over just the horrible life that um, Evelyn lives through. And that led up to this crime of the century. And in the grand scope of the musical, it's, like I said, just a lighter moment. And it just breaks up the story just a little bit. So everybody just gets a breather. Mm. Um, we, just get in, we just get a little hint into the story. Um, but like as many musicals do, as we've talked about in our episodes before, it just glosses over the harsh realities of her story and the stories of women like her. Because if this happened to Evelyn, I'm sure she was not the only one.
0: Oh, no. Absolutely not.
1: Absolutely. So, we're going to transport back to the Gilded Age. Ooh. The Gilded Age, a time where everything looked very shimmery and gorgeous, but it was just literally stanky and just downright rotten underneath. And I mean, like, that's basically what Mark Twain said about the whole thing. Maybe stanky is, like, not a direct quote, but, like... (laughs) just, like, everything that glitters was just rotten underneath. So during the late 1800s, the United States was just starting to get its shit together after the Civil War, mainly in, like, the filth department. Now, you might think that sex and body autonomy is still a very taboo subject to talk about, but in these, like, blazingly conservative times, it was even worse. Like, like nobody was talking about it. But it was still everywhere. Like... People didn't know how to talk about sex. They, they, uh, but like it was just, it was so palpable. Like it was just everywhere. So much so that it was like on the streets, like, like in Vegas. You know, when you like, you walk by Vegas and and people are like trying to get your attention by like slapping their hand or something or like flicking or they make noises so that you look down and then you're like, ooh, those are boobies or ooh, that's a. That is a, that is a penis. Like, like it's like, that is just like, like on, on like the uh, pornography that's just like in front of you. And you're like, I was not, I did not consent to that. Um, it was very much like that um in, in pamphlets, in like, in pictures that were just on the streets. I was just like, what was it, drawn? Like, what was it? Like, I, I was just like... photography costs so much money like what what were they just like littering the streets with but citizens and and even the government got involved and they were like we have to like clean up these streets because it's like it's it this is too much like we're not talking about sex but like we're seeing everywhere and that's enough so in um 1873 the government stepped in and passed what's called the Calms stock act um which meant to stop the delivery of obscene material through the mail. No more up... Like, people would literally open up a letter and just see, like... (laughs) Like, a grandma would just open up a letter and be like, those are boobs. Like, it would just be, like, obscene material, or at least obscene to what they would consider obscene, was just sent out, like, randomly in the mail. But, however, of course, the government gets involved, and there is... It's like they put a kibosh on everything, right? So that didn't only include include photographs, but also like art. So any type of art that had nudity in it whatsoever was considered obscene. And it was kind of being um stopped at being created. So artists did, they were like, Well, we're still gonna make our art because that's what we do. Like we find a way to do it. And they got around this by making everyone who was either sculpted or painted into Greek gods, Greek characters. Um, or just something that was like ethereal. So it couldn't be Mm -hmm. brought back to like, you know, human beings. Like it was a mythical creature or a mythical being of some kind, because of course, Greek gods, Greek goddesses were not like the common folk like you and me. Mm -hmm. So speaking of gods, like Merry Christmas. It's 1884. Welcome to the world. ho, 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 ho. Literally. Welcome to the world little Miss Evelyn Nesbit actually born Florence Nesbit, but later in life she took her mother's name, which is bizarre to itself, but here on our we, here on out we will be referring to her as Evelyn, just as that because her mother will call her Mrs. Nesbit because Mrs. Nesbit takes um, definitely takes form in this story. So we think that Evelyn was born in 1884. However, it could be possible that she is a little older and that her mother lied about her age. Um, to get past child labor laws um, because they were passed later in time, but whatever, I digress. She was forced to work at a very young age. Sadly, Evelyn's father died when she was very, very young, and the family, Evelyn, her mother, and her younger brother, were really desperate to make ends meet. Like, I gotta give it to Mrs. Nesbitt, though, because she did what she had to to help her family survive, Um, but you know, that kind of bordered on, on the line of inappropriate, especially for her daughter, but she did try to run a boarding house, but she like, didn't have like the gumption or like the boldness Mm -hmm. to like ask people for rent. So she would like send Evelyn to do that job, which I think it's like, maybe don't send your children and like your young child, your Mm -hmm. young daughter, like into random men's rooms for money like the, how, what a dangerous situation and she was and she was a gorgeous child like everybody said how gorgeous she was and no one could say no to her and it's like
0: that makes me feel so icky right and it's like that they say the, g- feel so icky they say the
1: gay sexualized children but anyway um
0: <laughs> i'm sipping my
1: water
0: i about to say most gays don't want to come within 200 feet of children so <laughs> we're
1: like go on your merry way do what you gotta do
0: honestly get out of here you're sticky and you smell funny you're just always so sticky
1: so when this business adventure of of the boarding house eventually went sour Mrs. Nesbitt hauled the entire family to Philadelphia where she started to work as a dressmaker it was here that Evelyn finally got discovered by female artists on the streets, which I just love that she was like discovered by other women. She was just, they were like, queen, let me draw you. Like, I love that. Can you imagine just like in the Gilded Age, someone going, queen, let me draw you. Yes.
0: Queen, yes. Work, twerk, slay. Work, work. <laughs> work Better drop.
1: So female artists would ask Evelyn if she wanted to model for them. And soon uh, her name was getting around as like a really great model. And, and almost overnight, Evelyn became this like, sensation in the modeling world because think like they're probably it was probably like word of mouth just spread so quickly because they didn't have really any other way to talk about models right so soon um she she and her family made their way to New York City and she continued to model for various artists then she started doing toothpaste ads for coat like ads for fur coats facial creams and and she started started being paid like more than twice of what other models were making like she was making bank on her cuteness I mean I gotta like again gotta kind of give it to her like her momager like her momager was like getting here like helping her like get these gigs like she was just like mm-hmm. no like keep going I mean obviously borderline like bad but like I'm a little jealous mm-hmm. that she was just like hustle culture is not good but like it's like I mm, wish I had a little bit of that drive uh-huh. wish I had a little bit of those opportunities over here just like auditioning my ass off so at this time photography is just really beginning to be mass produced so Evelyn's face is quite literally everywhere because she's on ads for almost everything this expert on Evelyn Nesbitt that I got a lot of my information on Paula and I want I I hope I'm saying her last name right uh your guru um she said that Evelyn was the it girl before people even knew what it was And all of this is happening to Evelyn before she's even 19 years old. Imagine this overnight sensation, a type of sensation of, of a, before you even know what a celebrity is and you're just wanted for everything. So not, not only did Evelyn model for everything, she was also started like performing in Broadway shows. Like, I'm not jealous, but just, you know, like Evelyn, like spread the love a little bit, please. Like. So, um, so her first Broadway show was called Floridora, cute, 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 an Edwardian musical comedy, which I'm like, what does comedy mean back then? Probably not what we think now. Um, but it was like the first big hit uh, for Broadway during the 20th century. And it's <laughs> it was known for this like pure banger, Tell Me Pretty Maiden, which is like, ooh, girl. It was considered a double sextet. That means that it was 12 singers and they were not singing any harmonies? I think they were just singing the melody in like two different octaves, which was like interesting and like mm-hmm. white as hell. I have to imagine, like just like I remember listening to it and be like, this is just more creepy than it is. Let's party, but I digress. But there was one person in particular that just loved going to the show and would go to the show so much. And it was this dude called Stanford White. Now, Stanford, um, just like this interesting son of a bitch who was um, determined to make big things happen in New York City, and he and he did. He was one of the major architects of the Gilded Age. Uh, he created mansions for the vanderbilts the tiffany's he made the original madison square garden uh which funny enough um had a naked uh statue of the goddess diana on the roof but because of like the times that we were in and the calms uh the the comms act that i talked about that she had to be covered up even though it was interesting because she was a goddess so i'm like why did she need to be covered up but like you know um they had literally like a sheet over her to cover up like the obscenity that um that they thought it had So this guy like he had so much money like this is one of these like original like he probably like schmoozed with like Rockefellers and stuff like that like he had so much money that he didn't even know what to do with it. So he's like one of these one percenters very like Duke in Moulin Rouge that's like Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna like be around all the bohemians and the artists and I'm going to like and everything but like mm-hmm. you better listen to my oh my gosh it's literally so much like the duke it's wild for those of you who don't know my husband is in the tour of moulin rouge so like it's always on my mind and i'm always like unpacking it in my brain um so yes if you've seen or know anything about moulin rouge it's very like imagine him as the duke but like you know like he's not like other old rich guys he's like a cool rich guy right like he was known to be a masterful human being. He was intense. He was a whirlwind figure. Um, he loved beauty and beautiful objects and beautiful women like chorus girls. He viewed mm-hmm. women and objects as very similar things. Of course um, You know, just tokens, tokens of his life. And so during this time, the object of White's affection was Evelyn. He went to see her perform in Floridora literally like 40 times. He was just there watching her, just like sitting right up close, just watching her. not
0: at all creepy at all. Not
1: at all. So, I know, it's it's real icky. Um, He wanted to meet Evelyn just so badly, so much so that he made other chorus girls convince Evelyn to come and hang out at one of White's apartments. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this, but like Stanford White is uh, forty six years old, and married with a son.
0: No. No. Yep. Yep. Absolutely yep. not. Absolutely, absolutely not. not.
1: Cool. Cool. No, cool. No, cool. No. Remember, Evelyn is like sixteen years old. I love this though, because like sixteen year old Evelyn was just like, he's kind of old, and that's kind of mm. nasty. But like free food, maybe I'll get some free food. Um. So one of the chorus girls. Course girl friends of Evelyn brings her to one of wit's um places called it is nasty even to say it his snuggeries quote unquote which is the name of his apartments um mm, so mm, that were like up in the basically midtown like on the tw- on 24th street uh it was literally just like a sex den. um and what makes me very upset is it was located over the old, like, FAO Schwartz store. And it just makes me feel like I need to have, like, a hot shower because I'm just like, that is so predatory. And what's really sad is that, like, when Evelyn first visited this fucking snuggery, she saw the toy store and she just, like, she wanted to go in there instead because she's a child. Like, she was like, oh, I kind of want to go into the toy store instead. But, like, her friend, it's not her friend's fault, but, like, she was convinced because of the money and... And, um, what Stanford White could probably do for her career to go to this place. And like, she just, she didn't have a childhood. She never got to have like that innocence of life because she was working and working in all respects, um, since she was so young, she was, she was into white. She thought he was interesting, but she knew he was too old for her. She thought he was very nice, but like too wrinkly. It's not her thing. Poor girl didn't really have a father figure. So it's like, what a confusing time. White didn't view that as being disinterested. It, 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 he viewed it as um, a game to win, an exploit to get. And um, he decided, you know what, I'm gonna like show her all the things that are in my space. Now, we're going to start getting into territory of, like, uncomfortable, gross stuff that White did. So if you feel like you need to jump ahead, know that that's a lot of her story, though. That's a lot of Evelyn's story. So just know that going into these next couple parts. But, yeah, so White decided I want to take her into this really cool room that I have. And in this room, which is covered in red velvet, is a swing that's affixed to, like, the ceiling. So we've got this, this completely red velvet room. A swing and like a, a parasol, like a Chinese parasol that's like hanging from the ceiling. And he's encouraging her like, oh, go get the parasol. So the idea is that she would get on the swing and swing up to the parasol to try to grab it as it was in the game. But it was just a ruse so that he could um, look under people's skirts that were on the swing. Fucking disgusting. I've got two words for you, Maddie. Absolutely not. Thank you. Red flags. Also, also,
0: red flags. Red, red flags. flags. Red <laughs> flags.
1: Like red, red velvet, red flags, red everything. But she's a child, so she doesn't know that his intentions are truly disgusting. She thinks this is fun. She doesn't get to have fun. She's always working. So Evelyn had a great time, despite how she knew he was this old guy. and And she started to spend more and more time with him. Um, so White became her specialized like patron, um, a kind of Gilded Age sugar daddy. Uh, White thought that Evelyn was perfect. It's perfect. Aside from everything was perfect to him except for her teeth. And that will become important later. He had her get them fixed, which I didn't know was a thing back then that you could like get your, your teeth really fixed. Um, so he got her teeth fixed. He paid for her apartment. Um, He paid for her mother, for her brother to go to school, gave them gifts, and basically got Evelyn in with more and more famous artists. Not the hacks that she was working with before that she found on her own, um, but like he introduced her to the good bohemians, right? The ones that were going to like make her infamous. And he was really, he was beloved by bohemians. And I mean, kind of if unless you were um, being groomed by him, like how could you not love this guy that's giving your theater all this money and um, and giving you food and giving you drinks? Like I- I'm sorry, like I'm going to say it. If you give artists like food and drink, we are like, where am I going? Like we're
0: probably gonna love you. Yeah, we're,
1: we're probably gonna, probably love, gonna you. love you. That's the sad part. But he did that so he could get her to work with almost any artist in town. One of them being Charles Dana Gibson who is an American illustrator who created the iconic image with Evelyn as the center of it, the Gibson girl. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: The most iconic image of the Gilded Age. Now, who is the Gibson girl? I'm sure that there are college degrees around the Gibson girl because it's just so interesting and and there's so much to it. So this is probably a very um, surface level Description of it. However, the Gibson girl was the new American girl of the time. She was seductive without being sexualized. She looked like she was an heiress. She was always healthy. Um, She was in with the newest trends, but she was also independent. She didn't need men, but she was also held up to the impossible standard of what women are still expected to be today clean in the streets, freaking the sheets, virginity while having an edge. I'm not like other girls. Like I'm the ideal image of the new woman. But this is all from the male gaze. It's not from the woman herself being of like of being course. like, "Oh, I'm all these things," which you can be, do it all. But like this is specifically like this is exactly what men and I think men still uh cishet men especially like want their women to be. Here's a, I feel like this this is kind of like a a better quote uh, that um, explains the Gibson girl. She was a member of the upper middle-class society, always perfectly dressed in the latest fashionable attire appropriate for the place and the time of day. The Gibson girl was also one of the new, more athletic-shaped women who could be found cycling through Central Park, often exercised, and was emancipated to the extent that she could enter the workplace. Not stay there, but enter it. But in addition to the Gibson girl's refined beauty and spirit, she was calm, independent, confident, and sought out personal fulfillment. Self-care, anyone? Um, she was depicted attending college and vying for a good mate, but she would never, never have participated in the suffrage movement.
0: <laughs> Which of is... course not. Why would women want rights when men can tell them exactly what they're worth and what they should do? <laughs> <laughs> it's too hard. It's just too hard. I can't I can't do it. Like I can't do it. <laughs> Like she was
1: Brian Safey's muse in Uncut Johns. Like jobs. Jobs.
0: Uncut Johns. Like jobs.
1: <laughs> So the Gibson girl, if if we try to like um associate who the Gibson girl is today, like think of it as like the popular IG models, like like mm-hmm. Instagram models. We were like, oh, I don't, I don't quite know her personally, but I see her face everywhere. And she just mm-hmm. kind of captures um, everything that I would view a woman, um, or at least what they're telling me a woman should be. So Gibson uh, used this portrait of Evelyn that he took and entitled it The Eternal Question, Encompassing the forever question, at least of the time, and I think still continues now, is it what do women want? Okay, I can answer this question for you. It's very, very easy. Um, leave us alone and let us let us experience peace, please. Uh-huh. For, the, for the love of God, please just leave uh-huh. us the fuck up. Please just leave us all. Leave us all alone. She's they's, nice and gays. Leave us all alone. Just leave us alone. It's true. Like just let us be. Um, So in this portrait, in the eternal question um, that's become so iconic, and this is what the Gibson girl is now, like we, when you look it up, Gibson girl, it's this picture that comes up. Evelyn's hair is a huge symbol in it. So her hair is literally um, a a symbolism of a girl on the edge of, of womanhood. Her hair is half up, half down, half up, meaning she's a woman, half down, meaning she's um, still a girl. I'm not a girl. Um, Evelyn literally was embody- embodying this transitional space where the woman could be more than one thing. Imagine she could be a virginal temptress, even in the even the hair. Like her hair even symbolized a question because the way that it was, um, painted, and I'm sure the way that her hair was styled was like in the shape of a question mark. Like, ooh, what am I thinking? Who am I? Like. So much of art back then was all about symbolism. So her hair was such a huge part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and White loved, he was obsessed with this idea of of Evelyn becoming this image of what he wanted a woman to be for him. Um, and he owned her. He owned her. He was like, at least that's how he imagined it. Like she was his prize. And Evelyn's just thinking that like she's got this great life now because she has this person providing for her and her family but soon she will learn that nothing comes for free um so white became a big confidant to mrs nesmond aka mama rose in my opinion as so many of these stories show um and he really gained her trust so much so that one day uh White encouraged Mrs. Nesbitt. you know, like go home to Pennsylvania, go visit your son at school and go visit other family. And, you know, I'm going to keep an eye on Evelyn. And so she did. She was just like, oh, OK, like, like bye, like cute little home trip. And so this night that he told Evelyn, um, hey, I'm throwing this big party and a, a ton of people are in attendance. He probably had done that many times of of hosting events so that she could meet more and more artists and stuff like that. And so, um she agrees and of course she's going to go but the minute she gets to her apartment she sees that and this must have been a fucking terrifying sight she sees that nobody is there she gets to his apartment and she is the only one there she's expecting a huge room of people a huge like apartment full of people and she's the only one in attendance and all of a sudden he starts giving her multiple glasses of champagne. And which is strange because up until that point, like he would make it known that like he would only let her drink one glass of champagne because he'd be like, no, it's going to like it's going to mess with your head. You won't be on your you won't be on your game. The, so he's just like continuously refilling her glass. And so tonight was a very different night. And so trigger warning from from <laughs> for a little bit um, content warning. It's going to, it gets into the R word. So just know that. And please skip ahead if you feel you need to protect yourself. So very quickly, Evelyn's not with it. She's, she's intoxicated. She's still very, very young. So her tolerance I'm sure is so low. And before she knows it, she's being taken to a room that is just completely full of mirrors. So she passes out and she wakes up sometime later and she's naked. She's lying next to white and she's staring up at herself uh, at the mirrors in the bed. And, and she wakes up basically from blacking out. And she screams because she's in a panic. She doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know what's happened to her. And she looks down and she sees blood on the sheets. Um, and White looks at her and he simply just assures her that nothing quote unquote unusual happened. And that everybody did it. And that now she belonged to him. I'm assuming that at this point Evelyn didn't know what sex was. And that... Um, And even like what had happened to her. That's something I'm sure she knew deep down that something had just happened, but like didn't have the words or the context to understand the act that had just happened to her without her consent. And White just goes on to gaslight her even more. And he says that girls don't talk about such things. And when it would look like she was maybe about to say something to someone to like, I need to talk about this. He would literally go, don't talk, Evelyn. Silence her. This is wild. Back then um, for rape, to be proven for our word to be proven and for someone to be convicted of it the woman would need to prove that she tried to fight back she would need to prove physically that she had like like scratches or scratches were on the perp like there would have to be some physical proof that she had to fight back and if the perp was convicted it would carry only a 10-year prison sentence I don't even think Evelyn understood that that was something that she could offer to the police, but like, well, who is she really like the idea of like her going against her patron was probably not even a thought in her brain. She didn't have a father figure. She didn't have, or not even a father figure. She didn't have someone in her life telling her what was appropriate versus what was inappropriate. What was love versus what is manipulation. And she's only 16 years old. So she thinks physical intimacy equals love and she thought that this meant that maybe White would leave his wife and be with me. Like, maybe I am the next... Um, I'm, oh, I'm this...
0: I, I keep forgetting that he's married. Yeah. Oh, God. With a like child. Oh, yeah. worse.
1: Yeah. It's just... It's awful. And he's. And she's like, everything about this man is a seismic force. Like, so many things read that he was just like this magnetic character that held so much power so much power just in the community that she was in in New York itself like he was the money and and he was also like this this male figure in her life that was leading her and giving her everything that she thought she needed and she didn't know any better she didn't have anybody to protect her not with the way that her mother like was taking full advantage of everything that um Evelyn was doing all the work that she was doing she was profiting off it as well so in a way like she didn't have a chance like how could someone not be groomed at that point when you have nothing else to base it on like you go with what makes you feel safest and maybe she felt safe and it's just so upsetting that she didn't have any other example um and, and how, do, how do you turn down the glamorous gifts upon gifts and 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 acts of like what seemed like love to her? He would sprinkle. It's so gross. He would sprinkle rose petals or he would have rose petals sprinkled with like confectionery sugar that would um, give off this like impression of snow like they she even called him Stamford Claws, like Santa Claus.
0: That's disgusting. That's so so gross. gross. That's so gross. He
1: would he would like pinch her shoulders and go, I'm looking for your wings. Like wretch. Disgusting. It was just like, and so like he was able to just hold on to power for, and, and, and remember, like she's in this transitional stage of this, of, oh my gosh, what did I, the Gibson girl, like. She's literally in that space right now in her life. Like she's woman. She is a woman because she could she was probably going through her menstrual cycle in her time then. So she could bear children, but she still had she was still a child. So like, oh, Maddie's face is like so disgusted. I know it's awful. Um, I'm so sorry to know that it, it. this is not the worst of it. She continues in this messed up relationship, but is also still continuing in her career as well, because, you know, modern woman. Um, So she's in this new musical called The Wild Rose and she's used to men fawning over her. But this new dude started showing up to performances. He was that was and he was following like the same formula that White did. And this will come up many times. This this idea of like following the formula that was created by White and he would be sit. he would go to multiple shows. He would be sitting in the front row. He was like Looking hungry and pathetic, I'm sure. Just like, ew, who is this, like, boy that just, like, keeps showing up? Probably grown man. So much of the following following the formula of light that he even begged a friend of Evelyn's to introduce her to him. Like, these men, they can't just go up and, like, say hi to them themselves. They have to get, a, make a friend, make it happen. And he introduced himself as Mr. Monroe. And for some reason, Evelyn, she's convinced to go. She's like, okay, fine, I'll meet this guy. Um, and they go to lunch and at at the lunch, he kisses the bottom of her dress. This guy, Mr. Monroe, kisses the bottom of her dress. And he says, did you know that you're the most beautiful girl in all of New York? And she was just like, peace, ill. This is weird behavior. I'm out. Um, but also she's like, of course I am. Like, I'm I'm the Gibson girl. But later we we learn that his his name was not Mr. Monroe. That was like, that was a, a secret identity, which is like red flag. If someone has a secret identity the moment they meet you, absolutely yes. right red flag.
0: Absolutely
1: um, not. so he reveals his, I don't know how the reveal was, but like in a very dramatic way, um, at his next encounter with her, he reveals that he is Harry Thaw, um, eccentric millionaire, you know that part of the song? Um, so yeah, I feel like every time I say Harry Thaw, I have to say eccentric millionaire, but who is this Harry Thaw? eccentric millionaire. Uh, when he was young, he was known as quote unquote mad Harry. Are you waving your, are you waving those flags? Because they're like,
0: red flags,
1: red flags, like it's literally enough red flags to like cover your front lawn. So he was called Mad Harry because he was unstable. He was spoiled. He was a Richie Rich from Pittsburgh. He was kicked out of Harvard and law school and he was just obsessed, obsessed with becoming the toast of New York City. He, he like, he just wanted to be wanted. And if that doesn't scream incel behavior, I don't know what does.
0: I agree. One thousand percent. One
1: thousand percent. So, um, so I love that even back then, like New Yorkers saw right through this shit. They were like, absolutely, like, absolutely not. You're a weirdo. Um, and they thought he was just so strange. Although his, his biggest fan was Mumsy, was, was mommy. Like she gave him weekly allowances that would be worth millions in today's money. So like, it didn't matter to him that. Other people didn't like him right now they, they were going to love him eventually and he too white and like other creepers before him he was very obsessed with chorus girls but he was like obsessed in a different way because he was very obsessed with their purity or lack of purity to what he believed and their virginity again i i question myself every day why i chose this career um because there's just creepers like that out there and they still very much exist so Listen to, listen to this. This is when it's like, again, trigger warning. This is, it's just not great all the time leading up. Like by the end, we kind of come full circle, but like this part's not great either. Remember when we said that his name was Mr. Monroe before? That was a, um, an alias. This was his alias that he would put in papers when he would put out ads as a acting coach. He would put out ads saying that he was Mr. Monroe and he would help you with your acting and your performing to help you get more jobs. This part's rough. So he would have girls, chorus girls, most of the time, um, come to his home. He would, I don't know how it would start, but it was said that he would dog whip and he would scald them in hot bathtubs and he would just... Torture them to help save their souls because they were bad because they were chorus girls they had given themselves over to the arts, so of course they had be they of course they had to be bad, but nobody knew about this behavior nobody knew that he was doing this to young women all over the city that were responding to these ads because his mother would pay them off would pay for their silence I'm sure paying for their silence was going to be much more profitable than Fighting him in court, especially back then, so Evelyn didn't know anything about this because I'm sure maybe even the course girls weren't talking to each other about it because I'm sure the shame connected to this experience, that this trauma that they endured was like just block it out, protect yourself. But Evelyn just like got a real icky feeling about this guy. She was just like something is not right about him. He was always sending her gifts, gifts, and and she would send them back. He would propose to her many times. And she was just, like, declining, declining, declining. This guy was not getting the hint. I mean, in her mind, Evelyn was like, I love Stan. Like, he's not the best person. Like, I also have an icky feeling with him. But it's, like, it's all about the devil you know. It's survival. It's, it's just doing what you can with what you have. However, things were starting, the relationship between Evelyn and Stan are starting to change. Like, he's starting to lose interest in this token it girl. It, quote unquote. I mean, I don't even think this is... Yeah, this is maybe only a year later, but things in in that time are also moving very quickly for what they've experienced. So I'm sure the idea of the it girl was also shifting, so he was like, "Well, I have to stick with what's present, what's it." So Evelyn started reading into that and was like, "Well, I'm going to explore my other options." And this part I'm like, "Oh, well, it's a little bit of a fresh air, breath of fresh air because now she's 17. And she starts dating other men who are actually close to her age and that she actually has interest in. Uh, Like this one, like different artist, which is like, that makes so much sense. Like Mm -hmm. start dating people in your, in your like space. Um, Like this guy named John Barrymore. And she really started.
0: Of the Barrymores.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think.
0: The Barrymores.
1: (laughs) And, And what's hilarious about that is like, her mother hated it because she was just like, oh, you're flirting and you're trying to get with people who are below you. And it's just like, john barrymore like the families the the barrymore families like it's insane um and she's hoping that like all of them are hoping that this makes stanley jealous but it's it's honestly just making her mother more upset than it's upsetting anybody else so much so that uh her mother sent her sent evelyn to a boarding school the demille school which stanford himself paid for like she's a bad mom right like she's just a bad mom okay we can agree so while at school um Evelyn needed an emergency appendectomy although it's been speculated that like Evelyn was pregnant and they said it was an appendectomy but it was really about um ridding her of her pregnancy and so um and you know they didn't want to connect shame to her probably anymore that she had so um regardless of of what it was Mrs. Nesbitt uh called upon Stanford White to help break like help pay for this emergency surgery but he couldn't get a hold of her, him. She couldn't get a hold of uh, White at all. Um, you know, he was probably like off scamming another or grooming another um, chorus girl. Mm. So instead, worst mother of the year. Um, so instead, she calls upon the next richest motherfucker who um, is obsessed with her daughter, Henry Thaw. Mm, no. no
0: eccentric millionaire. Eccentric millionaire.
1: And Harry's like, oh, my God, me. So he's like, he he comes in to save the day in his mind. Um, and remember what, like, like his kink is, like, his idea of saving people, right? Like, he's just, abs- like, he's like, oh, my gosh, I can so help save her. Good. It's so gross. It's awful. He sends in a renowned doctor to, quote, unquote, save Evelyn. And Thaw would pay for everything, including a very recuperative trip to Europe. Now, Maddie, tell me. When you, uh, if you were to have major surgery, what would your idea of a recuperative trip be?
0: To be left the fuck alone in a, in a, <laughs> a big house on the French Riviera?
1: Oh, that sounds lovely with all of the you... with all the alone. food you want. But the French Riviera, so like that's a reac- relaxing place. Like that's on water, probably beaches and stuff like that. Harry's idea of, of a recuperative vacation It's a trip to Europe. Just just Europe. Like traveling Europe. And I'm like,
0: trekking through Europe after a major surgery just like doesn't sound like it. Like It also means he put her on a steam liner, like a giant boat. I didn't even think about that. Surgery. So you're literally being thrown into a giant metal tube with right after your body's been cleaved open, surrounded by filthy people.
1: And like, I'm sure Unless she was like on a full on morphine drip, like the pain. She's in pain, yeah. And so, um and he says that this is gonna be like a trip for her and her mother, two people who fucking hate each other. And um and he's like, you know what, I'll also join. So just like, you know, just join that cute little girls trip. Red flag central, like the flags that are
0: do 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 nope. I'm not. I can't. No. It's all, uh, Absolutely uh, uh, not.
1: Absolutely not. So during this trip, <sighs> Evelyn is just, uh, every day she's getting more and more pissed at her mom because her mom is spending all of Evelyn's money on clothes for herself. And so basically Evelyn was just like, get the fuck off the trip. You're leaving. You're not being here anymore. And so she leaves. And so Evelyn and Thaw are all alone now in paris she's 17 years old i don't know how old he is i'm sure he's in his 30s so one night i am sure that they were drinking he asks he asks um evelyn if like she'll talk about white to him because he's like obsessed with white like oh my god you're obsessed with white and you know evelyn kind of pulls back and she's just like i don't want to talk about it and he just he just feels like there's something he she wants to say and so he's like, tell me what you tell me what he did to you. Like, tell me what you, he did to you,
0: which is very like, mm.
1: what are your intentions? And when we know what
0: groomer's it, asking you to talk about your other groomer? Yeah. And so
1: I don't know where she was in her headspace, but she tells him all about the mirrors. She tells him all about that event. And she probably thinks that she's telling a confidant, like trusting mm. this person. Or maybe she was just tired of holding in the secret and she wanted it out just to finally say it out loud. And, and he was like moved to tears and hysterics that um, White would um, assault her. In, in a different scenario, like maybe this would be sweet, mm-hmm. but like his intentions are clearly about manipulating her. And lest mm-hmm. we forget the torture that he put upon other actresses of the time.
0: So it's just like... Almost forgot about it. Right? Almost, almost forgot (laughs) about it. (sighs)
1: Almost. Yes, rehabilitation happens for people, but like people like this just don't change. Like, I just don't think that... This is just like, this is in them. So then if you can imagine, Thaw starts acting even more weird. He would take Evelyn to all these places in Europe. Remember the recuperative trip. He would take Evelyn to all these places in Europe places in Europe that um, virgins were murdered. For example, when they visited where Joan of Arc was uh, became a martyr, there's a guest book. Why is there a guest book where Joan of Arc was killed? But I digress. He, he wrote in the guest book, she, as in Joan of Arc, she would not have been a virgin if Stamford White was around. Now, I know that this is an audio medium, but Maddie is, along with me, are just blinking... Very slowly.
0: I... I... Why are are
1: men, cis men, the worst?
0: Why are you so obsessed with this man? And arguably, probably talking about it so much that it makes Evelyn feel like shit. Yes. So Uh, much so. I hope she kills this man, because Uh, I want to kill this man. I wish.
1: Okay. Uh. But again, Evelyn's 17. Attention is attention, and she's... She was taken by Harry's concern and that like he had a reaction to her story because she was told girls don't talk about this kind of stuff. So the Mm. fact that she's talking about it and like getting attention, she thinks at the time that like, okay, I guess like he'll take care of me now. But now white now like now Harry just had an even more deep obsession talking about white like uh, he just became so engrossed in what he did again trigger warning maddie also protect yourself with if if, I'm, if this is too much so one night harry so one night they like rented like a casual you know castle in germany and very much like how evelyn came to a party where nobody was there harry sent all of the servants away like in the middle of the night in in the dark of night thaw goes into evelyn's room He stands at the foot of her bed and like he did with so many of the other chorus girls, he was naked, he had a whip and he attacked her. And he told her it was for her penance, for her forgiveness for what had happened to her with White. And then he proceeded to R word her. Like what the, what the fuck? And then the next day they wake up and go to breakfast and he pretends that it didn't even happen. Just completely ghost lights the entire event of attacking her in the middle of the night. Like, and probably worse than he had attacked so many of the other girls. And, like, I can't even imagine what was going through Evelyn's mind. Because, like, not only is she trying to, like, heal from her her appendectomy or whatever it may have been, if it was allegedly something else. Now she's healing from literal attacks, like bruises and, like, being attacked the night before. And the doctor... Who like has been coming like a doctor that's like been coming in to like check out on her on her like state and stuff like that is just completely like ignoring the fact that she's like gotten the shit beaten out of her and and everybody's just ignoring like not like this didn't happen nothing happened to this girl and so she was so trapped she's trapped she's in a completely different country she's all by herself with him he has all the money he has all the power like how is she supposed to get out of this situation. So she had to stay and she had to endure it because she didn't know anything else to do. And eventually, I don't know how, but God sent like this fucking angel of a woman. This this woman in Paris just sees like, I guess, interacts with her and they find out that she is um, a friend of Stanford White. At least he was good for something. And um, she goes, she's like, you're coming home to New York with me. You're not staying with with this eccentric millionaire anymore you're coming home with me just like women getting the job done as always like we have no choice but to get all the jobs done so so we're back in new york her mother isn't speaking to her white is distracted by other things and like she's gone through all these horrific traumatic events just within the past year probably just in the past couple months and now on top of it all she feels like she's past her prime at age seventeen, because <laughs> right, thank you. Things are moving so fast. She's just like, well, I've missed my my time is done. And Harry, oh, <laughs> Harry, 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 Harry's just not getting the plot right. He he's sending her flowers. He's sending her letters, proclaiming his love, apologizing for how he behaved, and all, and said, if only, if only they could marry, things would change, and he would get better. He wouldn't do those things anymore. And and for two years. He wore her down with this type of manipulation and stalking until she agreed to marry him. Because, like, she was just like, well, what other choices do I fucking have? I live for the drama of this moment because... On her wedding day, and I don't know what, like, custom of the time was what women would wear, and so I'm choosing to believe this was a very dramatic act. Um, But the bitch wore black to her own wedding. Like, she's just like, this is my funeral, honey. Like, whatever. Everything's done. I'm over it. He said, let's get married and I'll be better. Well, of course that didn't work because that never. Of course not. Of course course not. Um, not. So night after night, he would literally go into her room and ask, like, literally, like, every single night, He would make her relive the trauma of what Stanford White did to her. He would say, tell me what Stanford White did to her. Or tell me what Stanford White did to you. And he would make her relive it every night. He wanted to own her. He wanted to own her experience. He wanted to own not only her body, but also like the trauma that went along with it. And and in his weird, sick way, he wanted to heal her with his own trauma that he would put upon it. But it was like all about the, it wasn't even really about his obsession with her, more about his obsession with White. Twisted, how, how obsessed he was with White. He would even start like hoping he would see White everywhere he would go. So he was like, Carrying a gum gun with him and like having White followed. I'm like, I'm sure this guy was already packing, but like he's carrying a gun and probably making it visible. Like I'm carrying a gun so that if I see White and White is like not, he's not dumb. Like he he's got eyes everywhere, all over the city. So he started catching on, and um and they're both collecting like incriminating evidence about each other. But it got to a point where they're like, so that if anything happened, like they could incriminate each other in any type of crime. Mm However, they got to a standoff because they both realized that they, they both had information on the other that they had both raped the same woman who was and still is a minor. So if one person's crime got out, then likely the others would too. And that they would both potentially, even though I'm sure that they could both pay it off and like, wouldn't have had to do it anyway. Like there was still that idea of the smudged name, like, and, and the idea of a 10 year jail sentence for this. Especially for someone like Evelyn, who was so popular and in the in the public eye, Harry's trying everything he can do to smudge White's name, um, and to keep people, um, to keep his power, um, and to keep building his power and to keep people away from White. And so it wasn't even about the virginity of young girls anymore, because it never is. It's never it about never the purity. It, it never was. was. It's about power. It's about status. It's about being the best uh, New York City had to offer. But as I said before, New Yorkers are like, we're not having it. Even then they thought, still thought he was a big old weirdo and nobody wanted them in in, in, uh, their club. So Sharks he wanted, yes, yeah. they,
0: they mm, no, sorry kids. No. Yeah.
1: And so like, he just wanted to destroy the person that he felt was responsible for, for, for like not allowing him into like the big boys club. Like he's just giving me like syndrome energy. Like he's just like giving me like energy of like, you can't sit with us. Like pathetic. Just like when they say like that, like women can't hold their shit together in emotions. Like I, can't, this is like this is such childish behavior. Like dangerous, dangerous child. Like just the fact that he married Evelyn just to get closer to and get back at White. It was just like like a petty little bitch. Like oh oh okay. So remember when I said that White um paid to get Evelyn's teeth fixed? Of course. Harry didn't want anything that Evelyn had gotten from or had fixed from White to um, be a part of her anymore. So he literally made her go to the dentist and fuck up her teeth.
0: No! I've literally like, I can see where you're going for this. And I, no. Absolutely not. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely not, no. What?
1: Uh, uh, No. I, 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 I read that and I was like, I'm no, no, absolutely not. So everything that white reminded him of white because he was so obsessed needed to be stripped from Evelyn. He made her report every time she saw white, even if it was just in passing any, any dream that Evelyn had of travel of, of, of uh, a life of at least benefiting from having a millionaire as your husband, just went out the window. Like, they just, they went back to where, um I, I guess, where he was from in Pittsburgh. Um, so she was just, like, cooped up in Pittsburgh. And mind you, I just like to say, I keep thinking of, like, eccentric millionaire in my head. He wasn't eccentric. He was dangerous.
0: Yeah. Like, no.
1: it makes me kind of upset that the musical called him an eccentric millionaire, where it's like, you think that, and you think, oh, he's just, like, this crazy, kooky guy. No, he was out of his fucking mind. He was unhinged. Just felt the need to say that. So, uh, you know, Thaw is realizing Evelyn is unhappy. And um, so, you know, I'm going to try to figure out a way to make her happy again. And he finally told her, you know, we're going to go to Europe again. And on our way to Europe, we're going to stop in New York City. He's like, oh, my God, girl, like, we're going to have such a great time. We're going to go to the theater. We're going to see this new show called Mademoiselle Champagne. And it was this musical that was being done in the rooftop theater of the Madison Square Garden. Maddie, do you remember who made the madison square garden who designed the madison square garden mr stanford white so they get to new york city and that night uh thaw's acting real weird like even weirder than normal it's a very very hot night and he's wearing this very long um black overcoat and he's drinking to get wasted which is unlike him um because he doesn't need to drink to have fun (laughs) fucking hate this guy um so white walks into this restaurant that we're in and he's with his, uh, he's with his son, but Harry didn't realize this cause he was like so drunk. And uh-huh. Evelyn, remember that she was being like told that she has to report every single time she sees him. Yep. She's like afraid of what would happen if she didn't report. So she's just like, she writes it down on a napkin and he, she's like, Hey, white is here just so you know. And so Thaw orders more champagne. He leaves a big ass tip and they leave. It's just odd behavior. So they leave they leave the restaurant. Okay. Harry will not take off this overcoat, which is just sending off more red flags, bad vibes. and they get to the and uh, they get to the theater, they settle into their seats for the show, and they're excited and Evelyn is just like excited to be there. like she's back in her city, she's back watching a show. she's probably feeling sad that this isn't her life anymore, but like she's also like excited to be back in it, just to experience uh-huh. it. She was the star of New York City, and now she's the wife of this like. Weirdo who's sweating in this giant black coat right next to her. Like it's just a couple of years, and my life is completely turned around uh, in such strange god. ways. And so uh, White finally arrives to the theater, and everyone applauds him. Um, like he's like Regina George. They're like, "Oh my god, it's Stanford White! It's just theater." Like, "Oh my god!" So he goes to the front um, front row to to get in his seat because he wants a nice. Spot to sit and, like, you know, watch the chorus girls and find his new prize because he's still trash. Like, we're not on either of these men's side. They're both trash. And Evelyn, she's like, she's got bad vibes. She was like, I want to get the fuck out of here. And she's begging to leave. So the group that they're with, they get up and they start to go to the elevator. And Evelyn realizes, like, Harry's not with them. So she turns back and she sees that Thaw is walking towards White and he gets 100 feet within. White's uh, space space, and he shoots White point blank with three bullets and he hits him in the teeth, the left eye, and the shoulder. And White dies instantly during this song, I Could Love a Million Girls, which is very ironic. And he he murders him in front of... Uh, white uh, Thaw murders white in front of 900 plus people. And, and of course, like, I feel like we're going to talk about this when we eventually talk about like the assassination of Lincoln and stuff like that. Like, like back then, people just like didn't get the plot of like of when actual things were happening. And I think it sometimes happens now, too, if something big happens in a theater and you just kind of aren't as aware of your surroundings. Like you're thinking, is this part of the show? And that's what people thought. People thought that this was like part of it. But and also like Harry's being very dramatic about it. Harry says, I did it because he ruined my wife. And he screams that. And and all of a sudden, like people started understanding, ah, this is real. Get him out of here. So Thaw's taken away and he's got his fucking smile on his face and he's saying, I saved you. I saved the young women of New York City. Literally both both of these motherfuckers could have died. I don't even care. But um, because of this drama, because of this like event that happened, the show Mademoiselle Champagne became a hit because, not because it was like a good show, but because people wanted to see the scene of this crime, um, the celebrity of it. There became reenactments, Nickelodeons, Um, small films were recounting it. And for two years, this was the crime of the century. Nothing like this had happened before. So we get to trial because obviously there is no disputing that Thaw did this because it's like 900 plus people were in attendance. His mother would not allow Thaw to take the insanity plea, which is what he was going to do. She was like, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh. She would rather him like go to jail than admit that there was, um... A mental illness, or in uh-huh. in their family, which apparently mm-hmm. there were there was much mental instability in their family that was just continuously like paid off.
0: Uh huh. Well, this is when we're starting to see the beginning of the eugenics movement really take its toll. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I mean, and it would like really manifest towards the, like time of Charles Lindbergh. Yep. But like, this is when. People who were seen as lesser or other, as quote unquote mentally unstable, mm-hmm. women were being uh, like sterilized against their own their own will. Like they would just be doing medical procedures. People with no true medical science were deeming who was worthy and who was not. Mm. So, like, yeah, just not a good time.
1: Not a, not a good time to be alive. Like flames, flames, flames. at the, flames side the side of my
0: face. Side of my face. I I hate her. Just. I hate her so, so much.
1: <laughs> That's how I feel about these men. I hate them so. Oh
0: God, much. I want them to burn. Like I'm just sitting here going, "Thank God one of them died."
1: So, rather than admitting to, um, you know, a commoner's insanity of, of um, that was really seen as like low class and like, you know, only certain people are insane. There was a very specific type of insanity that was used to um, prove that men became insane to protect the honor of their wives a bit of a um like a glorified like oh you're allowed this is a crime of passion because you're trying to save your your wife's purity or or what happened to her and this has a name Mm -hmm. this is called dementia americana and i feel like the idea of this and i feel like this could also go along with like using the plea of insanity To justify um, maybe not even like the purity of like a physical like person's uh, Mm -hmm. like existence, but also something like, I don't know, the American government. It reminds me very much like January 6th, mm -hmm, you know, I'm like, it's giving me like 2021 vibes of like uh hmm, uh the day that will not be named. Um, But this is nineteen oh seven. There's just like, how do you fight? How does a woman fight against this? But again for the trial, because Evelyn was the beautiful woman, uh, she was the face of the trial. Uh so it kind of re, re rekindled her celebrity. But also she was she didn't want to be a witness. Um they made uh his Thaw's mother and Thaw made her testify. They basically were just like if you don't testify, Harry will die in the electric chair. And
0: and And Evelyn
1: would lose everything.
0: The part of me is like,
1: let him fry. I mean, oh, well,
0: so sad. So true. Like, oh, darn. I can't think of a single thing that happened that night. I just, oh, no, I can't possibly. It must have been all the drinking. I just don't remember. Oh, I'm just such a loose floozy. I just can't remember anything. Uh,
1: Your honor, your honor. I, I, I don't remember your honor.
0: I'm just but a mere, frail, dumb woman. I, my hair is in the shape of a question mark. I, I, I don't know. I don't remember anything, Your Honor. I don't recall.
1: Eventually, again, they wore her down because that is the art that they are so good at in that family. And she testifies for days. Oh, she no. is made to go through excruciating detail about her, um, her assault from White. The the assault that drove Thaw crazy to the point that he had to murder White at any chance he could get. And the prosecution was, like, excited. And this is fucked up, too. The prosecution was literally excited to tear into her and to tear her apart and cross-examine her. And they literally said that they ripped her limb from limb. And just to see what remains of this woman and her, like, broken state. Like, what the fuck is wrong with... What is wrong with everyone...
0: More men, more men men. ruining everything.
1: Mm. So the prosecution destroys her character. They go into, um, they tear her apart from her modeling career, for the naked pictures, how she rode on a velvet swing, and why she accepted so much money from these groomers in her life. Oh, I don't know. Asswipe, like because she was forced by her mother and didn't know any better and didn't have anyone looking out for her
0: well-being, so she did we what she thought she had a, to do to survive. Allegedly, like it's almost like we don't have a class system in America or something, or mm-hmm. uh, something. <sighs>
1: so the newspapers were covering all of this it was so salacious so much so that like President Roosevelt was just like can y'all calm down with this Jerry Springer ass shit because people are trying to get their work done and they're Uh, over uh, here uh, still uh, they're talking about sex and I'm not okay with people talking about sex and like porn in papers so can you just like stop talking about this like I just love that the president was just like I can't Get shit done in the Oval Office because everybody's gossiping about this trial. Maybe Roosevelt, you should have stepped in and been like, "Can we help this woman so this trial can end? Just put right? this man away."
0: Like, uh, can we do this to prove that like maybe we should stop focusing on women? Like, yeah,
1: like Thaw's defense doesn't didn't even care if. What Evelyn was saying was even true, which I'm sure it was true because we believe survivors here. But, absolutely.
0: um, we stand with survivors, absolutely we do here.
1: But just because of the fact that she told it to Harry, um, is what made him go mad. Um, but let's be real like, she didn't tell it to Harry, like, because she wanted to, she was literally forced to tell mm-hmm. Harry every single mm-hmm. night. And they called it a, a brainstorm what he experienced, which I it's still a little confusing to me, but like this, I think this idea of the brainstorm was kind of like this idea of like a blackout. Everything just got so whipped up in his quote, you know, allegedly got so whipped up in his brain about all of um, the assaults and the amount of times that he would hear uh, or make Evelyn tell him what happened made him go insane. And alienists, I don't know if you've ever heard of alienists, but they're like, they were like the mm-hmm. early profilers and psychologists of the time um they studied harry and they determined that he was sane before and directly after the event of killing white so that just added to this defense of the brainstorm honestly the brainstorm reminds me of like (laughs) in florida you've probably i'm not sure if you would have experienced it definitely not in florida but it's kind of like a squall like that's how it reminds me of it it's like a squall is when, and I get alerts on my phone when we're gonna get them, where it's like uh-huh. this really in- intense, like, whiting out any type of, like, visual, like, visual, like, area of when, like, a snowstorm comes in, like, yep. really, really quick. And it's huge. And then it's over and there's no visibility and you can't see in front of you. That's what I envision of them like explaining what a brainstorm is, but that's like your sanity. And yeah. so like right before it happens, you're fine. Then this blacked out moment where you couldn't see anything, you couldn't see straight because everything <laughs> was white hot rage and then um, and then it's like settled. And you're like, oh my God, what happened? Um, and they were just like, that's what happened to him. That's why he killed. When they came back with a verdict, it was a hung jury and the DA vowed to have a second trial because they were like, we're going to figure this out and, and we're going to come back and we're going to, we're going to prosecute him and it's going to go our way. And so there was a year between both of these trials. The fact that it happened within a year is actually like pretty.
0: Uh, yeah. As far as the pretty quick. jury go. Yeah, absolutely.
1: um But in terms of like culture and how quickly things were changing, it may as well have been a lifetime because like so much was changing. Like suddenly the modern world didn't, fall like i think even like the old victorian ways were starting to shift even more and like the modern world not seeing it like they did like they were like oh we're seeing right through this bullshit and like the morality of what the defense was saying that like it was this Mm -hmm. brainstorm they're like no we don't accept that defense anymore like i guess that was their way of like defending women so i guess you hand it to them for like the time but still not great but they're trying like not at all really but i guess for the time maybe it was like a little bit of an advancement and also the trial was so public that information was just like everywhere and it probably wasn't all real information it was probably like fake news too so like
0: absolutely
1: so like they're just they have so much information about the trial and even just like harry himself so they're just the defense is like we have to go with insanity like there's no other way to 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 go with this trial again, like, we have to use the insanity, like, the full-on insanity defense. And they used the fact that there was a lot of mental health issues. Like, they finally were, like, using those mental health issues in his family back up the reason why harry was not with it so they put on trial again and he's fucking acquitted he's acquitted for reasons of, of insanity and he's sent up to um an institution in new york state so like i guess there that was the deal where it's just like he didn't get convicted as guilty but he had to spend time in a facility and and even from this facility like thaw paid people to follow and to keep an eye on evelyn and guess who sponsored that one? Mommy. Yet again, Mommy's uh, still paying for the way. So during, With
0: Evelyn's own money, I'm sure. Oh, yeah.
1: Eve, well, see, here's the thing. Mommy is now in charge of everything. She is the full proprietor of all the money. So in this time where Thaw is in this institution, Evelyn uh, gets pregnant. And she insists, it, it was from a conjugal visit, but the family doesn't believe her. Um, I'm sure it was from a conjugal visit um, and she has a son and his name is Ru- his name was Russell William Thaw and Thaw just like full on denies it ever happening and and since uh, mommy Thaw had all of the money and hated Evelyn like she just always hated Evelyn she always thought that Harry had married beneath him Um, she didn't hate the fact that he was a fucking psychopath but you know she hated Evelyn and so she was just like I'm, I'm not paying you. Like I'm not giving you money. I'm not supporting you anymore because they think that this is like a bastard child. And I don't even know if that's like the correct term, but like out of wedlock, like this is not, they don't think that this is Thaw's baby. And so Evelyn is just struggling. She can barely pay for her rent. Tried to like, she just always tried. She tried to be this devoted wife, but she was just so fucking sick of it. She was just like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. So when, um, <laughs> I love this part. So when Harry yet again is is needing her um, to say that he was now sane uh, for his hearings, for his like, to, to be able to like get out of these asylum, this asylum that he was in, she's flat out, it's just like, mm, no, he's like too dangerous. I don't think you should let him go. I don't think he's changed. I, he's not a good guy. <laughs> and, And so finally after that, after that, Harry files for divorce and she's just like, I'd rather be fucking penniless and free than being with you. And the saddest part is that, like she said, the tragedy of the event of the crime of the century is not that Stanford White died. It's that I lived. My God, this poor woman.
0: Oh, God.
1: We We are we are we are rounding near the end, folks. I promise.
0: Oh, God, that poor woman. I know.
1: But. Um so leading from this time like she wasn't thriving she was surviving but she wasn't thriving mm-hmm. um and she's trying to support her child she becomes an addict of morphine of alcohol how do you not after all that trauma mm-hmm. she tries to commit suicide in 1926 by drinking disinfectant um after she was fired ironically enough from the Moulin Rouge cafe um in New York City and and uh so she's sent to the hospital after this uh, suicide attempt and Harry visits her in the hospital because, Oh, by the way, like he was let go from the asylum eventually. Um, and they made amends at the hospital, but from that point on, they never saw each other again. And, um, and she forgives him. Like she's a much better woman than I would have ever been. You know, Harry's let go from the asylum eventually. And, and of course, like he's not healed in any way. He's not changed. Like he is he's arrested later for kidnapping and beating a and performing the same acts of grooming to a young boy this time and i'm sure that it happened many times before he was just caught this time and um he just continuously would like get caught like do these acts that he would always do get caught sent to an asylum and then like be let go probably after being paid off and it just kept happening and happening and happening until like he died Um, But he died eventually, so trash. Um, Burn in hell. Anyway, during the 30s, Evelyn, uh, she tries to go back to work despite feeling like her entire life is in ruins. She's had this reputation of being the girl on the swing. So she was just like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, I'm going to use that to my advantage. I'm going to use my trauma. And make the most of it because what else am I going to do in this life? Mm -hmm. And, um, and so she tried vaudeville. She tried to capitalize on this, Mm -hmm. on this crime of the century. And she was just like, I'm going to do it. It's going to happen. And New York was like eating it up. Uh, she would do cabarets. She would rock around the village with like this boa constrictor around, around her neck and just like live her life. And the boa constrictor's name was baby. like, She's iconic. Oh, like, I hate snakes, uh, but, like, that's iconic.
0: Honestly, I love that for her so much. I
1: love it. I'm like, find your bliss. So in 1955, um, she became a film consultant on the film that was based on her life, the Girl, in the, Velvet, uh, the Girl in the Red Velvet Swing, starring Joan Collins. Like, you better find that purpose. You better, like, mm-hmm. you better own, like, you better to make sure that story is told through your eyes, through your gaze. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes down to it, like, this whole crime, this whole incident, uh, this was the first "quote unquote" true crime, at least that was publicized the way true crime kind of is now of the twenty of the twentieth century, in terms of media coverage, press exploitation, the rich uh, versus the working class, illuminating the darkness. I mean, not much has changed, and then the story, yeah, and then the story just comes like really beautifully full circle for Evelyn. For our girl, our girl, our gorgeous, gorgeous girl, Evelyn, in her final years of her life, Evelyn finally was just like, "Fuck it, I'm going out to California," and she decided to channel all of her healing into sculpting, and she um, spent her d- her last days and her last years of her life like being a sculptor, and I just love the idea of like the muse becoming the artist, mm-hmm. um, and then on January seventeenth, nineteen sixty seven. Uh, Evelyn Nesbitt died in a nursing home in Santa Monica at the age of 82.
0: I about After, to say, she lived a very long life.
1: She was just like, I'm going to find what purpose I can and do my damn best. Mm. And that is the story of Evelyn Nesbitt, Crime of the Century, The Girl on the Velvet Swing. Ugh, much of my information today. <laughs> oh my god. Such a long... Such a long time. Thank you all for sticking with me yet again. So much of my information today came from um, different episodes um, of different podcasts. My Favorite Murder, episode 136, The Uninhibited Criminal, episode 91, The It Girl, and episode 92, Dementia Americana, which features much information from Paula Arubu's book American Eve, information from Wikipedia, thisiscriminal.com, and other places, and I will list all of that in our description. And that is the story of Evelyn Nesbitt,
0: everyone. That is so good. You did such a good job, Em. Oh, you thank you, my love. That was so wonderful. Though I I just, I bet Georgia is at home shrieking that someone used her for, for oh, yeah. a reference. She's like, people, we don't, I mean, they're well-researched. And they give tell themselves that they're not. But they are very, they have yeah. researchers. They got, we're, we're not there. But I love that. That was so good. And it's so interesting that like, Now people really go Aaron's and flaherty you'll have some questionable content at this point but Mm. it's so funny that like they decided to include her use her story but it's like such a small aspect of her actual story yeah which you know again it's very similar to like the squeaky from of the the whole situation that like how we use what part of people's actual story we use Mm. for our stories is so interesting to me yes
1: absolutely absolutely that's such a good way to put it because I don't know if I if it wasn't for this podcast if it wasn't for just like wanting to unpack more of like Mm -hmm. theater and true crime and how they work together in the space like I don't know if I would have looked into her story as much like Mm -hmm. it may have just been one of those like historical events that like was just like, oh, that's a fun part of that musical. Maybe I'll play her one day. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, there's so many stories like that. And not just about white women. Like, there's so many, so many stories of just exploitation. And, and I, you know, G- Gabe always asks me, like, he's like, why do you, like, like I'm so curious. Like, what is it about true crime? Because it's like, it's so dark. And so much of the time, I'm like, these are people's stories that are twisted into only us knowing the narrative of the, the attacker or the, Mm -hmm. the criminal where it's just like, where where it's like, it's so important to know who these victims and survivors were Mm -hmm. are. Um, And although the men in her life played a huge part, played the part of, of what happened, really turned her entire world around like at the center of it was always Evelyn and at the center and at the end it was still her that won like she like she may not have wanted to survive that long but there was a reason for her to be around that long and to be like I don't know the universe was just like we need you to stick around and teach I love
0: that I, I love that um, people living out of pure spite <laughs>
1: I think that's my grandmother sometimes.
0: Listen, she's gonna, she's got to outlive somebody, so like for real. Um but yeah. <sighs> that's another one in the bank another one in the
1: bank look at us go
0: and thank you all at home for sticking around with us listening to us chortle and cackle and sing red flags at you (laughs) we could not do this without
1: you not without you so thank you for your support thank you for your love and your interest and also please Sh- we've we've got an email. We've definitely got an email, right? Or even on Instagram, or DM us, or, or contact us in any way that, that you want, and give us your suggestions of mm-hmm. of other... Like, we've always got a running list, but we would love to hear from you, and if there's anything that you're like, oh, you haven't talked about this in this theater, or this part that's connected to this musical or theatrical performance in whatever way, like, please tell us about it. We would love to find new ideas to research and just get um, other... Brains on this too.
0: Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Exit Stage Death is brought to you by Dreamer Productions.
1: This episode was audio engineered and edited by Maddie Limerick.
0: And our theme is Antisocial Dance Party by Brett Eagleston from the Let's Rewatch podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Stage Death Podcast. On Twitter at Stage Death Pod.
1: And send us your favorite chilling theater stories at Stage Death Podcast
0: at gmail.com. You can find us on Patreon.com at Dreamer Productions, where your donation of $2 a month keeps quality content coming your way on your favorite Podcatcher app.
1: Join us for more chilling true stories on the next episode of Exit Stage
0: Death.